The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Gospel of Luke chapter number 18. Welcome to church on this Labor Day weekend. And I know we have several folks traveling to different places, so I hope that you'll keep them in your prayers as they travel. But for those of you who are here in town, I'm so glad uh, that you prioritized gathering together with the Lord's people. We're praying that today's service will be an encouragement and a help to you. Today, I have the privilege of having uh, Hunter is going to preach for us this morning on our Labor Day weekend. Uh, for those of you who are newer to church here, uh, Hunter has been around here for several years. In fact, as a teenager, he grew up in our church. Uh, then he interned with us and a couple years back became a full-blown staff member and we're just so thankful uh, for his service to the Lord through our church family uh, in, in the main regards just leading us in worship and he just does such a tremendous job there really pulling our hearts toward prayer and praise toward the Lord he's just doing an outstanding job with our young adults group I mean just just really seeing folks saved they're seeing folks baptized and we're just thrilled on how God's using his life uh, last year he finished his one-year Bible degree and now he's continuing he's currently working on getting his bachelor's of ministry even right now and so he's working through that and we're just thrilled with what God's doing in his life and so here on this Labor Day weekend he's gonna come and uh, preach to us from the Gospel of Luke chapter number 18 uh, for those of you who are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we uh, read from our text here today, the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 18. We'll begin in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 8. The scriptures say in Luke, chapter number 18, verse number 1, And he, Jesus, spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, she just kept pestering him, pestering him, pestering him, Hey, uh, take care of this for me. I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect? Basically what the scripture is saying, hey, if, if an unjust person would be willing to respond to the request of somebody else just because they're continually nagging, how much more would God, our Heavenly Father, do that for his own children? He says, and shall not God avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with him, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. This morning, Hunter's going to bring a message simply entitled, The Labor of Prayer. Amen. Man, well, I am so happy and honored to uh, preach the Word of God to you this morning. Um, it is a real privilege. Um, but before I do that, by way of announcement, uh, you should have got one of these in your service program. Um, and basically, many of you know what this is, but we're going to have a concert here. Uh, we've never done this before, um, and we didn't even initiate this. But um, this kind of 
fell together. Um, and so we are going to be hosting the We Are One Tour with Plum, Unspoken, and Dan Bremness. And if you listen to Christian radio, um, you probably have heard their songs, whether you recognize their names or not. And so that being said, that's going to be on Friday, September 28th, the last Friday of this month. So it's coming up. It's like three weeks away. Um, and I just want to encourage you guys first to buy tickets. Um, from Bryn today, you can go see here and us being the hosting church, we get discounts, so you can buy them for $15. There's only 50 of those. Once those are gone, they go up to $20. Um, if you've already bought tickets, I'm sorry. That, that stinks. Um, but anyway, second thing, more importantly, I want to uh, invite you to do is volunteer. Uh, many of you have already volunteers. I have you guys' name on a list. It's actually right here. Um, and so come see me afterwards. If you haven't volunteered and you're interested in doing that, we still need, especially guys, just because we need some people to lift some things. And it's going to be, we meet about 10 guys in fr on Friday morning, uh, the 28th from 8.30 to 12.30. That's an awkward time. So if you can make it, we really need you uh, just to come like bring the artist equipment, set up the stage. Um, I'm looking forward to that. And so if you do volunteer, you get free tickets. So come to me first. If I'm out of volunteer positions, then go to Bryn. Cool deal? All right, awesome. Well, let's get into this today. Um, being Labor Day tomorrow, uh, I actually had forgotten what Labor Day was e even about. Um, I had assumed that it was like Veterans Day or Memorial Day. And so past, I, was, I was telling Pastor, I was like, we were talking about it, and I was like, um, what, e what even is Labor Day? And he's like, I was like, isn't that where we like honor the soldiers? And he was like, no. He's like, it's where we honor like the working class. So with that being said, if you are in here and you work, I, I honor you. Um, we're going to talk today about laboring in prayer. And I, I know all of you came today just hoping and excited, and man, I really want to learn how to, how to labor in prayer. No, probably not. That's probably not what any of us are thinking. Um, and when we, when we talk about this thing of prayer, there's so much to what it is. Communing with our God. That alone is a crazy phrase, but that's what prayer is. And so I can't talk about all that prayer is today. So if you walk away feeling like, well, that's confusing. And just know that I'm going to try to zone in on this one aspect of laboring a prayer, of working in prayer. And hopefully we can walk away with a better understanding. I want us to ask two questions this morning. And that is, the first one is, why should we pray? Why should we pray? Why, why even pray? What's important about it? And then we'll get, let's just get into this today. So... Our theme today is, and this is going to sound harsh, but they're going to put it on the screens. It's this. If God answers prayer, then our failure or our struggle to pray reveals that we either do not believe or do not care. And that sounds very harsh, but I'm talking to myself. Um, and I think down in, in the depths of who we are, we know that, ah, oh, that's got to be true. Because if God answers prayer, then, then, then why don't we see him doing more in our lives and in this church. And so, and I, I don't think there's anyone in here who says, man, I've got this thing of prayer down. Love where I'm at. I think I've reached that. I'm, I'm trying to grow in other areas. I hope we're all always in a place where we're trying to grow in this thing of prayer, where we're, where we're wanting a, a deeper intimacy with God. We're wanting to know Him more. We're wanting to cultivate this relationship to a place that is even closer, where we understand who God is, and we understand, and we're listening to His voice. And so I hope that's all of us today. So I hope that as we're talking about this thing of laboring in prayer, we'll walk out of here today like our stomachs growl for food and, and, and we're, we're going to be hungry at the end of this. You know, well, maybe the 11 o'clock service will be more hungry. I don't know. But I'm going to be hungry, I'll tell you that, because I'm here until like 1230. So 
like our stomachs growl for food, I hope that we'll leave here with our souls and our spirits just growling, in a sense, for God to know him, to know him. And so let's get into this story. Luke tells us this parable that Jesus is, is speaking, and the thing about parables is they can be kind of weird because they're an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so when you're reading them, sometimes it can be like, well, what does this mean, and how does that apply? The thing with parables is that not everything in them is apples for apples. Not everything in the story applies to life. They're meant to, to communicate a specific idea. And what's nice about this parable is that Luke tells us exactly what that idea is. In verse 1, he says, And Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end, or for this reason, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So that is the context for this story he gives. And he starts with this widow. Well, actually, he starts with this judge. And it's interesting because we can start applying this even as we read it. We're like, okay, well, the judge, you know, the, the, the widow is us and the judge is God. And, but what's interesting is this judge is wicked. This judge is unjust. He, he doesn't care about God or man. And Jesus makes sure we know that. He makes sure for a reason. And then we see the second, this widow. And the thing with a widow is just knowing she's a widow, that's all we need to know to know that there's something about this woman. And that is she is in need. She is in need. Being a widow, her husband has died. And in that culture, it was even more severe. Um, it had even more severe ramifications than it would nowadays of how is she going to provide for herself. So we see obviously right there, just being a widow, that she is in need. But not only that, it tells us that she has an adversary. And it does, Jesus doesn't give us the specifics of what this is. But there's, she has an enemy. She has someone that is coming against her to do her harm in some way. And so we see right off the bat that this widow is in dire need. And she comes to the only person who can do anything about it, and that is this judge. And that's the first point we're going to get to today, and that's this. We pray. Why do we pray? We pray because we need. We pray because we need. Have you ever been in need? Like, I know that's an obvious question, but think about a time in your life where maybe you, were, you had this need or this lack of something. Um, I grew up uh, with my two younger brothers. Um, Hayden, you guys know Hayden. Hayden's in here today. And, uh, and my older sister, Megan, and my two parents, we grew up farming raisins out um, Shaw 145. And, and we would love to go camping. And, and, and we had so much fun as kids, man. We were so dumb. I just... It was great. We loved it. And so at one point, we, uh, or a couple points, we, we decided to like give each other nicknames. And one of my nicknames was Fungus. Um, I'm not going to tell you that story. Uh, but I will tell you the story of my other name. Um, and that was Puddle. So I'm not doing very well here in my family, as you can see. But um, we're coming back from, I think it was Pismo one time. And you know when you come away from the coast and you get into like those hills and then it opens up into like a plain and it's like hills. And for the most part, it's kind of barren. There's nothing really for miles um, until you get to like uh, a gas station or something. But so we were at that point, right, where, there's, where you're kind of far away from everything. And a need arose within my being. I had to go, man. I had to go. And that need, as it does naturally, only increases. And so I let my parents know, hey, I've got a need. We've got to do something about this. This need needs to be met soon. Um, and I don't, I, there's probably been a time where I've had to go worse, but I don't, this is one of those times that stuck out like, it hurt, I need to go right now, let's do something. So what we did is when we came along the, the portion of the road where we could pull over, I jumped out right down on the side of the road, and I proceeded to relieve myself of my need. I met my need while hearing my siblings laugh and giggle and make jokes behind my back, and then I re-entered the vehicle once my need was met, 
to my shame and humiliation, and hence the nickname, Puddle. <laughs> Point is, have you ever been in need? And we all have. There's so many different forms of need, right? We have physical needs, emotional needs, mental needs, spiritual needs, and underneath those, you have physical needs, you have financial, health. There's so many needs that we have. And although those are important and we need to be praying about those needs and all of those needs should drive us to the first prior, to, to God, our provider. I want to focus primarily on this thing of spiritual needs. And I want to propose to you, I'm not going to give away everything before the end of the message, but I want to propose to you that we might have a need singular that is underneath all of our needs, plural. And so I just want to kind of plant that seed. And, um, and as we think about this thing of need, I, I know for me personally, in, in the area of spiritual needs, we can look at culture today, we can look at um, just, just being Christians and, and loving Jesus and wanting to pursue Him, I find so often my heart is drawn away from God. My affections are, are turned to whatever it is, whatever good thing. But, but nevertheless, however good it is, it's turned away from God to that. So I find in me, one of the spiritual needs that I have is for God to, to renew my mind and to change the way I see things and to change my heart to want him, to desire him more than anything. And that's not like I'm forcing myself to desire God. No, he is the most desirable. There is nothing that satisfies our souls and our hearts other than God. But somehow my flesh convinces me that there's other things that do that. And so prayer is one of those forms that, that I meet that need and I come, God, I have a need. I have a need to stay close to you. I have a need for my mind to be renewed, like Romans says, being renewed in your mind transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Andrew Murray said this, nothing but intense believing prayer can meet the intense spirit of worldliness which is complained of everywhere. I love that. And we can talk about how bad things are and we can talk about how, you know, the government and the schools and, you know, the world, ISIS, and who knows? You know, there's much to talk about when it comes to bad things in our world. But are we praying? Church, are we praying for those things? Are those things, are those needs, those are real needs driving us to prayer? Let's keep going. So we see this widow has a need. She goes to this unjust judge. And then in verse four and five, it says this about the judge. And he would not for a while. So she comes to this judge with a need. And she says, sir, I need something. I need something. And it says that this judge, which we know doesn't care about God or man, he doesn't answer her for a while. He doesn't give her the time of day. He says, go away. But then he answers her. And so we see she, he answers her, but it's delayed. And we know we're talking about prayer here, right? So isn't this the frust most frustrating thing? Jesus says, after a while, like this undefined period of time. Why couldn't he say like, and after three hours of her asking, or after three days of her asking, or after three months, or even after three years of her coming to this judge and asking, he finally gave in. That way we'd have like this, this defined amount of time, like, okay, I know this is a big request, so I need to ask for three months. No, Jesus just leaves it undefined. He says, after a while, after a while, we don't know how long, but we know the judge finally answered her. And so I want you to see, at least it's to our second point. First, we, we pray because we need, but not just that, we pray because our need requires a response. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, like, we can pray a lot of prayers that don't actually require an answer. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Are you alive, church? You with me? All right, you can talk to me. We're good. A lot of our prayers that we pray, like, oh, God, just help me today. What am I even asking? Like, what am I asking for? And so a lot of our, and we have real needs. We do, don't we? But sometimes those needs, it's kind of like, well, I hope God does this, but if he doesn't, I'll find something else to meet this need. This widow didn't have an option. She had one option. This judge answers her, or the judge had to answer her. Her need required a response. I love this quote by Samuel Chadwick. It says that, he says, There is no power like that of prevailing prayer, of Abraham pleading for Sodom, Jacob wrestling in the stillness of the night, Moses standing in the breach, Hannah intoxicated with sorrow, David heartbroken with remorse and grief, Jesus in sweat of blood. All these biblical characters had a need that required a response. They had a deep need. Such prayer from that place prevails. It turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. How do we pray like that, church? And like I said before, man, we need to bring those needs, whatever it is, health needs, financial needs, they're, they're, those are real things, all of them. However small you think they are, they're real and they need to be brought to God. But how do we get to a place where we pray like this, where we labor in prayer? Or why should we even labor in prayer? I mean, Jesus is telling us in this story that we should. He's saying we ought always to pray and not faint. How do we get to this place? And I think it starts by understanding the nature of our need. Maybe what I really need most is not just for my bank account to have a little more money in it so I can make it through the month. Maybe that's not my deepest need. That's a need. But maybe there's something deeper than that. Maybe my, my, my deepest need is not I will be relieved from depression or some other mental illness and I'll, I'll, I'll be free from that. Maybe that's not my deepest need. Maybe my deepest need is something, something deeper, something else. And I think when we can get to that place where we start understanding that, I think we'll have a reason to labor in prayer. You know the story in Genesis and in, in, in Samuel, uh, Samuel Chadwick, the quote we just read, mentions Jacob wrestling with God. It's a fascinating story. It's amazing. And even that, even just saying that Jacob wrestled with God is just mind-blowing. What? But it's the story where Jacob, one of the patriarchs of Israel, God's chosen family, has a need. It, 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 he comes to the point in his life where, where it's probably the, the lowest point in his life. And the next day, his whole family and him could be wiped out by his brother whom he tricked and deceived and wants to kill him. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And it says there, when he's alone at night, God met him. And he wrestled with him a man until the breaking of day. And that, like, like he wrestled all night with God until the breaking of day. And finally God says, let me go. The sun's coming up. And Jacob doesn't know it's God. We don't know that's God until later. But Jacob knows there's something about you. I'm not going to let you go. And I'm sorry I'm not reading it. I probably don't have time. I'm just going to tell you a story. It's in your service program if you want to read it. Just, see, Jacob says, no, no, no. You have something I need. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me, until you give me what I need. And Jacob got what he needed. That's what Samuel Chadwick is saying. 
Such prayer prevails. But so many of the times, our, our needs don't require a response like Jacob's need. And can I propose to you that maybe, maybe the reason we're not experiencing more answers to prayer and we're, 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 we're in a stagnant place in our relationship with God is because we are settling for surface needs and we're focusing on these surface needs and saying, this is what I need, this is what I need, but we're failing to understand that there is a deeper root to all of that. There's a deeper root to all of that. And we're going to get to that, but, but not yet. So think about this widow, right? This, this judge is a wicked judge. Jesus is clear that he doesn't care about God, he doesn't care about man. But she keeps asking. We know, this is all she has. But do you realize she doesn't even know if she's going to get a response? Like, just look at the character of this guy. He doesn't give a rip. So why should she expect to get a response? But she keeps going in faith. That's all she has. She's desperate. She, she needs something, and this is the only option. So she's just going to keep asking, sir, 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 sir. Isn't that getting annoying? It gets annoying. That's exactly what the judge says. He says, this woman troubleth me. I'm going to answer her request because she's going to weary me. You know what the word weary is in the Greek? It's this word that means literal, the literal definition is to beat black and blue to bruise. And of course, it's metaphorical. And metaphorically, it means it's one that's an intolerable annoyance. And this judge says, this woman troubleth me. She is an intolerable annoyance. She's going to weary me, so I'm going to do what she said. I'm doing what she said. And I don't know about, I should probably keep going, but I, want, I don't know about you. For me, when I pray, most of the time, I'm the one that's bothered. Most of the time, I'm the one that's intolerably annoyed. I've been praying for, like, my, my grandpa to, to come to know the Lord for almost 10 years. And it gets annoying, church. It gets annoying coming to God and being like, God... Do I pray the same thing I prayed yesterday? What am I even asking? God, you know my request. But if God answers prayer, then my failure, my struggle to pray is not because he's not true and good. It's because I really maybe don't believe that or maybe I don't care enough. But let's keep going. So we see this widow. She goes to this judge, she doesn't know. She's running on faith. And that leads us to our last point today, okay? So we say we, need, we pray because we need. We pray because the need that we have requires a response. And when I say need, I'm talking the singular need that we, is still unknown, okay? We're gonna get to that. So we pray because that need that we have requires a response. And then third, we keep praying or we labor in prayer because we believe we will get the response we need. We keep praying because we believe we will get the response we need. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I hate, like, you know, being sick. Like, this, like, obviously all of us hate that. But, like, to an extreme degree, I hate, like, stomach flu, throwing up kind of sickness. It's a legit fear that I have. It's just so miserable. Like a cold, you're like, oh, this is rough. But you just lay down and you take some NyQuil, you fall asleep, you... You get, you, get, you get around it, okay? But when, you have, when you're like sick in your stomach and you gotta throw up, like there's no remedy. Like it's just like it's too late. Like you're just gonna be miserable, okay? And usually it's at night, right? So you like work during the day, you do your stuff during the day, you ate something at lunch, you ate something at dinner, and then at night it's like, oh no. 
no, no. And it's, it, to me, it's, just, it's such a horrifying feeling because there's no escape. I'm just miserable. And so you, you, you feel horrible and you throw up, you feel a little better, you go to sleep, wake up an hour later, do the same thing, repeat all night long. Horrible. I started taking charcoal for it. It's great. It works great. I haven't been, haven't been sick, so I'll just pop some charcoal capsules and absorbs everything in there. So just a, just a remedy. Um, but what, hel- what helps when you're going through that, you have nothing. All you have is the hope, the faith that morning's coming. Morning's coming and this is going to be done. Maybe this is the last time I'll throw up. Maybe it's all gone. N- nope. Okay, maybe this time. And you run on this faith that it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Maybe that's a horrible illustration since we're talking about prayer. Prayer is not like throwing up, but I think you guys get the idea. But what's so cool is that this, we see the character and nature of this judge is wicked and sinful and he doesn't care about anything. Because Jesus wants to highlight not the nature of God in this passage. That sounds bad. But Jesus is not highlighting in this passage the character and nature of God. Or else he certainly would have made, wouldn't have made the judge evil and wicked. He is highlighting the actions of the widow. Because he's teaching us how we should pray. But this is what is so cool is because the one we pray to is not this unjust, wicked judge. In Luke 11, a few chapters earlier from this passage, Luke 18, it says this, Jesus, and I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? No. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? This is the nature of a God. He says, look, you guys, I love you, but you're evil. You're a bunch of wicked sinners. But you know how to give good gifts to your children, right? Right? Right. He says, how much more does your heavenly Father delight? And this is, this is where we're going to turn. Not to give you whatever you ask for, but to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. Isn't that interesting? Jonathan Edwards, one of the great preachers, said prayer is as natural an expression of faith as breathing is of life. And that makes sense, right, with Scripture. We see in Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. How do you do that? How do we do that? I think it starts by understanding our need and the character and nature of our God to meet our need. And so we've been talking this whole time, what is the need, right? What is that deepest need? You ready for it? Our deepest need is God. And I could say it a couple of different ways. Our deepest need is to know our God. Our deepest need is to behold the glory of our God, to love his glory. I mean, we know from Scripture that's why we're made, is it not? Isaiah tells us, everyone who I made for my glory, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And we, 
beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image? So if that's why we live, and if that's our purpose, and if that's our greatest need, do we understand what the glory of God is? I don't. To me, it's so vague sometimes. It's so ambiguous. As Christians, we live for the glory of God, and we say that, and we say, oh, praise be to God. And, but when I think, what, what is the glory of God, and why is it worth living for? Why should I live for the glory of God? I can't, I can't touch it. I can't taste it. I can't feel it. I can't see it. What is it, church? I believe it's our greatest need. It's God himself. It's his glory. It's like Paul said. I've counted everything as loss. I've counted it dumb that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, being made conformable into his death. And so I want to give you a simple definition of what the glory of God is. The glory of God is who he is. It's his nature. It's his character. It's, it's, it's everything. It's all of who he is. He, he who dwells in unapproachable light and if the glory of God is our deepest need, but yet we don't understand, or at least I don't, maybe you guys are ahead of me, if, if, if that's our greatest need, then I think the first step for me is to understand what the glory of God is and to pray towards that, of God, I have a need. I need to understand your glory and what, why, why I'm living for it. Because if I say I'm living for the glory of God, but yet I don't even know and I'm not experiencing what that is, then I'm lying to myself. We're lying to ourselves, church. But to know our God, to understand our God, that is our deepest need, and that is the need at the root of everything else, whether it's a financial need, an emotional need, a tragedy, whatever pain, whatever lack, whatever we feel and experience those needs, we might need to start praying that, God, would you allow me to feel and experience the need that I have for you? Because I'm telling you, it's what I, what I went back to and said earlier about the world, because, because honestly, I don't feel my need for God very often. Sometimes I do, and honestly, I rejoice in it now. When I feel this lack and this need for God in my life, I rejoice in it. But so often, I am caught up in, in good things. And I'm not saying they're bad. I enjoy them. Those of you who know me know that I love to have a good time. I love it. But so often, I can put my hope and I can meet these surface needs with, with just, just whatever I, I find, whatever I feel and taste and see. But there's a deeper need. It's for God himself and nothing else can satisfy that church. Prayer is an anchor that pulls the mind to reality when the currents of life seek to pull us elsewhere. And for a moment, I just want you to go here in my head. I'm not suggesting we do this, and I'm going to start wrapping this up. I'm not suggesting we do this. This is crazy. But think about this week, this week, if every one of us, okay, took the, the fluff in our life, right? For me, it's probably social media, YouTube, and movies. I love it, okay? And maybe some other stuff. Maybe, and, and maybe for you it's more extreme. Maybe you have to work less hours and, and take a pay cut so you can work less hours so we have more time. Whatever it is, and I'm not saying we do this, so just go with me in your head here. What if we took all that time this week, all the energy, all the focus that we put into those things, that I put into those things, what if we took all that time just for this week and just spent that time in prayer, individually, on our own, spent it with God? 
What would happen? What, what, would we, what would we come in here next week? How would our minds change? How would our perspectives change? How much more would I love you guys? How much more would I, would I care about what God cares about? That's something to think about. That's something to think about. I want to give you this, this, this quote here on the screens, and then I'm going to tell a story and give us our takeaway, and we'll be done. So we're, we're landing the plane. We're coming into the, the airport right now. If the glory of God is our preeminent desire and pursuit, and that is also God's desire for us, so it's our desire and God's desire, then the only thing that can keep us from obtaining His glory through prayer is our refusal to believe or other desires that distract us. Does that make sense? You with me? Good, good, good. Okay, it's almost like what we said in our theme, right? If God answers prayer, then our failure or struggle to pray reveals that we either do not believe or we do not care. If the glory of God is our preeminent desire, and that is also God's desire for us, then nothing can stop us from obtaining that in prayer. God will answer that prayer. God will, not can, will answer this prayer. You know why? Because it's His will. So this might be something we might want to start praying for, church. Because God will answer it. That God, I might understand your glory. I might know your glory. I might want your glory. That I might be changed by beholding your glory. How, how awake are you guys? We good? Okay, I'm going to read a story. It's kind of long. But this is something else. This is, I don't, this is, I don't even know. The man's name is John Nelson Hyde. He was known as Praying Hyde. It was to the Punjab that the son of an Illinois Presbyterian minister, John Nelson Hyde, felt led to begin his lifetime of missionary endeavor. At the time of his posting, he was one of only five missionaries in a territory holding nearly one million non-Christian. Five missionaries, one million unbelievers. Progress was slow but measured. In a letter to his seminary after his first year in India, Hyde wrote, Yesterday, eight low-caste persons were baptized at one of the villages. It seems a work of God in which man, even as an instrument, was used in a very small degree. Pray for us. I learned to speak the language very, very slowly. Can only talk a little in public and in conversation. So we have five missionaries. One missionary can't really even speak the language very well. Hyde's inability to master the complex native languages was due in no small degree to his partial deafness. Okay, and he's partially deaf. To the dismay of his mission authorities, he devoted most of his time to Bible rather than language study displaying the withdrawn intensity of a visionary rather than the engaging demeanor of the traditional missionary. In time, however, Hyde gained a certain fluency, though he never lost his zeal for Scripture. With periods of outright persecution by natives and few, if any, conversions, that means barely anyone's coming to know Christ, Hyde began leading his fellow missionaries in intercession for India, prayer. So deep was his call to prayer that by 1899, he began spending entire nights face down before God. In a letter to his college, he wrote, have felt, have felt led to pray for others this winter as never before. I never before knew what it was to work all day and then pray all night before God for another. In college or at parties at home, I used to keep such hours for myself or pleasure. And can I not do as much for God and souls? <sighs> Whew! In 1904, five years later, Indian Christians and Western missionaries gathered for the first of an annual series of conventions in Salcott in what is today is Pakistan. To support this time of spiritual renewal, John Hyde and his friends formed the Punjab Prayer Union, 
setting aside half an hour each day to pray for revival. The results of their prayers were plainly seen at the Salcott Convention as a special anointing fell upon those gathered. Year by year, the prayer union fasted and prayed, and at each convention, a growing urgency for evangelism and intercession filled each attendee. John Hyde emerged as the prayer leader, and all were amazed at both the depth and spiritual insight and the ferocity of his burden for India. By 1908, John Hyde dared to pray what is to many at the convention an impossible request. Get this, that during the coming year in India, one soul would be saved every day. 365 people converted, baptized publicly, confessing Jesus as their Savior. That's what he prayed. Impossible, yet it happened. Yet it happened. Before the next convention, John Hyde had prayed more than 400 people into God's kingdom. And when the prayer union gathered again, he doubled his goal to two souls a day. Two people saved every day for a year. Whew. And still, um, sorry, I'm lost in my, lost in my place. Where am I? And when the prayer union gathered, he doubled his goal to two souls a day. 800 conversions were recorded that year. 800 people saved. And still Hyde showed an unquenchable passion for lost souls. At the 1910 convention, those around Hyde marveled at his faith as they witnessed his near violent supplications. Give me souls, O God, or I die. Before the meeting ended, John Hyde revealed that he was again doubling his goal for the year. Four souls a day. Four people saved every day and nothing less. During the next 12 months, John Hyde's ministry took him throughout India. By now, he was known as Praying Hyde, and his intercession was sought at revivals in Calcutta, Bombay, and other large cities. If on any day, four people were not converted, Hyde said at night there would be such a weight on his heart, he could not eat or sleep until he had prayed through to victory, which means four people saved. The number of new converts continually grew. It was in Calcutta that friends persuaded Hyde to see a doctor about his rapidly deteriorating health. The years of travail had obviously taken a toll, yet no one expected the medical examiner's incredible diagnosis. John Hyde's heart had shifted out of his natural position on the left side of his chest to a place over on the right. It was unlike anything the doctor had seen before. And he warned Hyde that unless he got complete rest, he would be dead in six months. In fact, praying Hyde lived for nearly two more years long enough to see a wave of revival sweep through the Punjab and the rest of India, and long enough to have his own personal vision enlarged. Before he died, he shared what God had showed him. This is where it ends. On the day of prayer, God gave me a new experience. I seemed to be away above our conflict here in the Punjab, and I saw God's great battle in all of India, and then beyond in China and Japan and Africa. I saw how we had been thinking in narrow circles of our own countries and of our own denominations, and how God was now rapidly joining force to force and line to line, and all was beginning to be one great struggle. That, to me, means the great triumph of Christ. We must exercise the greatest care to be utterly obedient to him who sees all the battlefield all the time. It is only he who can put each man in a place where his life can count for the most. What is that? I've never... I haven't seen that church. I definitely don't have that. Here's the, I don't even want that. Sounds like a lot of work to me. Sounds like a lot of work. I mean, I don't see any going to the beach there and going to the mountains and having fun with friends. I don't see that. I don't want that. Why? Would, would you agree with me that God is probably glorified in that? 
Do you think he's glorified in, in four souls, in, in people getting saved and turning their attention to God and saying, you're more valuable than anything, my life is yours? Do you think he's glorified in our lives when we say, God, you know, I can die to myself right now because you're better and I, I love you. So I can, you know, love these people I don't like. I can give this up because it's, it, it's taking priority in my life that it shouldn't. Do you think God is glorified when we enjoy him more than anything? Yes. But why don't we? Why don't I? Like I said, I'm talking to myself, man. I've been studying this passage for like a month, preparing this message, and it, 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 it convicts and weighs on me before, before it is now you. And I think it's because we don't understand our God, we don't understand his glory. How, how, how he really is better than anything. How he is more valuable and more precious and more beautiful. And we can sing all we want. But we can walk away and go find our hope in other things. And so I want to leave us with this today. This is our takeaway. And if you get nothing else, this is it. Ask. I don't know how long. I, I don't know what it takes, but ask. Because God answers. And this is what's so cool. Is that God answers. I, I spent a lot of my time here at the church in this room during the, during the week just, just praying. I don't know why it, it, it it's easier for me to be here than it is somewhere else. And, and so I can focus in here. And there are times when I've just been in despair. And I'm just like, God, I'm so frustrated. I can't see you. I can't. Like, where are you? Why, why don't I see you working more? Why aren't more people saved? What about my grandpa? Is he going to hell? God, where are you? And sometimes God has just let me feel that. Sometimes God has just let me be frustrated because that's what I need. <laughs> but you know, God answers, and I'm not just saying that because, oh, well, that's what the Bible says. God answers, so he must answer. <laughs> Church, God answers me. He answers me. When I pray, he answers me. He has met me in those times. He doesn't leave me there. Sometimes he will let me suffer for a little bit. He let his son suffer on the cross. He's not going to just make me feel good all the time. But he has met me there. However, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's not this template that this is how he meets you if you do this, and then it happens like this. But he's met me one way or another. Through a person, just himself, through worship. And I'm, 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 I come to those points and I'm just like, God, I'm so wretched. Like, but you're so good. Like I, didn't, like, I didn't believe even. My faith wasn't strong in you. It wasn't like I was sitting there saying, God, I know you're going to answer. I don't know how these needs are going to be met. I don't know how, you know, this is going to come through, but I believe. No, I was a mess. I was jello on this floor. I was just, God, where are you? I was like the Israelites, but yet he, he met me there. And he meets you. So ask, church, because God answers. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.